Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 2. The New Testament book of Hebrews and Hebrews and chapter number 2. Hebrews and chapter number 2. We're continuing with our series of the book of Hebrews as we're just walking through this wonderful book. And again, we had a great time this morning talking about so great a salvation and placing an emphasis on don't ignore this salvation. Don't neglect this salvation. Don't dismiss this salvation and that it was a very clear plea that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal savior that now is the appointed time. Now as we continue with Hebrews chapter number two we put a little bit more emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ and understand what he has done for us with salvation and we come to the book of Hebrews chapter number two. The book of Hebrews in chapter number two and let's begin at verse number five. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 2, and in verse number 5, the word of God says this. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man, that thou visiteth him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put in all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him who, who, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto thy, my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil." And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherein 
in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Hebrews chapter number two? The book of Hebrews chapter number two, and if you don't mind Noticing with me a phrase in the book of Hebrews chapter number 2 and in verse number 10. Notice what it calls Jesus Christ here. Captain of their salvation. Captain of their salvation. And with the Lord's help we want to preach tonight about the captain of their salvation. Captain of their salvation. If you don't mind let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And Lord, as we open up this passage and we could dive in and start studying out, and we understand that this requires just a little bit of studying to looking in, but the more that we study, the more that we uncover, the more all we are of you. I'm asking that everyone that's in here would be in awe of you, understanding what it means that you're the captain of our salvation. What you have put together for us in salvation. What you have imagined. How you see us. And I'm asking that you would help us to see us as you see us. And that we could see that you have a plan. You have a desire. You want to use us so much that you came. Robed yourself in flesh. And suffered and died for us. So you could provide salvation and be an aid and a help to us when those times that we're struggling. Again, help us to understand, to learn more about you, that you would be high, holy, and lifted up through this entire message. Once again, the best that I know how, I surrender myself to you and beg that you fill me with your precious spirit so that way I'm not in the way that people can see you as you are. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, this is a good time to remind you that the book we're in is Hebrews. And this begins a section in the Bible that we call the Hebrew Christian Church Epistles. Meaning that these are epistles that are written specifically for and to the Hebrew people. And because of this, why is this so important? Remember that what the book of Hebrews does is that it is an Old Testament commentary. Or meaning it's a commentary on the Old Testament through the filter, through the light, through the interpretation of Jesus Christ. But all throughout the book of Hebrews, you're going to see so much scripture quoted. Now, this does require you to have a little bit of a knowledge of the Old Testament, how it works. Not so detailed here, but what you're going to see is scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture quoted. Most of the passage that I read from you today is quoting scripture. And so what it's doing is that it's speaking to the Hebrew mind who would be familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And as it highlights the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament principles, it points them up to Jesus. And for those who would be familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, this isn't just surface stuff. This is deep, wonderful stuff that would complete their knowledge in who God is and what God designed for them 
and what he had planned and provided for them. And so again, with the backdrop of the Old Testament scriptures, this is why it's important for us to read the entire Bible not just stick to one section. You need to have a working knowledge of so many other parts of the Bible for this to pop out. Now, you could read it without and hear the message without the Old Testament back uh, stop, without the backstory, without the knowledge, and you could still get a lot out of it. But if you have the Old Testament backdrop, if you understand the principles of the Old Testament, if you see the scriptures and understand the cross-references, this becomes Wow, this becomes powerful. And again, a good reminder that Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us was not plan B. This was always in his mind. And so with this, let's study some more about the captain of our salvation. And the first thing that I want to bring to your attention is that the captain of our salvation has plans for man. The captain of our salvation has plans for man. Notice if you don't mind as we pick it back up in the book of Hebrews chapter number 2. The book of Hebrews chapter number 2 and notice with me once again in verse number 5. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. Now remember, we've already covered in Hebrews chapter number one that Jesus is better than the angels. And with that comparison that Jesus is better than the angels, he also gave us a reminder that we ourselves, we as humans were made lower than the angels. Remember that? So the angels are more powerful than us. They're obedient. They're holy. We're not. But yet, do you know who God designed to be in charge of the world, not the angels. God designed man to have all the world in subjection to him. Remember, we see that in the book of Genesis when God made man. He made man to have subjection, to be a good steward over God's creation. That was God's intention for man to have fellowship with God and for man to be trusted, to be a trusted steward over God's creation. But the problem is we messed up and we messed up badly. Notice as it goes on in verse number four, uh, five, uh, we see verse number five. Notice with me verse six. And verse number six, it begins to quote Psalm eight in verses six and seven. This is all quoting Psalm eight. Notice in verse six. But in one certain place testified, so it's saying, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Psalms. It's giving this cross reference. But in one certain place testified, saying, What is man? that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that thou visit him. Here in Psalm 8, it's writing, the psalmist is saying, who are we that God would care about us? We're little tiny pipsqueaks in God's creation. We're nothing. But God chose to love us. That's amazing. It goes on. It's still quoting Psalm 8, verse number 7. Thou madest him, this is man that God created, a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Again, it's quoting Psalm 8, but it's pointing out what we just said. That God made us lower than the angels, yet 
God placed man, not angels, to be stewards of God's creation. Who are we? The angels can certainly do a better job than we could. You give it to man, we're going to mess it up. And we did. And we still are. But that was God's intention. That's what God desired for us to be made to the place where we're stewards over God's creation. Notice it goes on still quoting Psalm 8. Thou hast made all things in subjection under his feet. For that he put in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. So in verse number 8 it said God's intention was to place the entirety of God's creation under the authority, the stewardship of man. But notice this. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Now, are we the masters of creation? No, we are not. But that's what God intended. Why aren't we? Because of sin. Because of sin, we mess things up. Because of sin, God can't trust us. Because of sin, we are not at the place that God desired us to be. By the way, that is a true statement now. I don't care who you are or where you're at in your Christian life, including me. We are still not what God desired us to be. You know, I've been saved, calculating, calculating, 35 years, giving an estimate. It's a while. And you know what? I'm utterly ashamed of where I am in my Christian life. I should be a lot further than where I'm in. I should know more of the Bible than I currently do. And I'm not trying to do this as a false humility. That's a true thing. I should be a lot further along. I should be a lot spiritual. I should be a lot more uh, closer to the Lord. I should be more like Jesus than I currently am. I should have a prayer life that's more outstanding. You understand? I'm not where I should be. Neither of you, if you're honest, we could all agree. <laughs> as we look at our life, we're not where God desired us to be. We keep messing up. We keep sinning. We keep trying to do things in our own flesh. We keep trying to see how much we can shoulder the load before asking God for help instead of going to Him in the first place. We're not at the place where we're used to depending on God. We go cry unto Him when we mess it up and we fumble and skin our knee and say, Mommy, I hurt myself. That's what we do. No wonder God can't trust us. We're not at the place where we can be trusted with God's creation. Do you know anyone who is spiritual enough that God can say, you know what, you're in charge of God's creation. You, you got it. Could he trust you with you? I mean, if you were in charge of all God's creation, could you handle it? All right, so we're admitting we're not in charge and we're glad we're not in charge. Why aren't we? Because of sin. We're not at the place that God desired us to be. But that was God's intent. By the way, God still has plans for us. He still wants us to rule and reign with him in what is called the millennial kingdom. That is his plans. That is his, his desire. That's what he's trying to train us up to do now to prove ourselves faithful so we can be found worthy to do it later. By the way, if you're useless now, God will not trust you then either. This is our testing period. This is our internship. This is our probational period. And so the goal should be as we get closer to the Lord to make ourselves more trustworthy, more faithful, 
that God can trust us later on. Does that make sense? But this God has a plan for you. And I don't care who you are. God has a plan for you. You were not an accident. God designed you with purpose and reason. There is something he designed you to do within the scope of his creation. But we're not where we should be. But we should be heading that way. We should be going in that way. But we recognize we are not the masters of creation. Because God can't trust us in that role. But we are reminded of the principle that God had a plan for man. The captain of our salvation has plans for man. One day we will rule and reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom. One day he will place us with our brand new redeemed bodies when we can no longer sin against God. Then he could finally trust us. But because of sin, because of flesh, we're not at the place we ought to be. Now with that in mind, as we look at ourselves and say, well, we messed this up. Still, God has a plan. He still wants to use you. He still wants to perfect you. He still wants to teach you. There's a second thing this passage teaches us about the captain of our salvation. The captain of our salvation paid the price for every man. The captain of our salvation paid the price for every man. Now, we talked about before that God desired to use us, but we messed up. The... The hope that we have is not in man's potential. The hope that we have is not in man's potential, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who robed himself in flesh. Jesus Christ who took on the form of man, not the form of angels. Notice with me in verse number 9. But we see Jesus who was made a lower little lower than the angels for suffering of death and crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Jesus Christ robed himself in flesh and willingly made himself lower than the angels in the fashion of a man. Why? So he could die for us. So he could give us salvation. So he could offer it for us and for every man full Free and forever. That was God's plan. Jesus tasted death for every man. He paid the price. When it said it tasted death for every man. What that means is that Jesus paid for every sin. And every sinner who ever lived or ever will live. Jesus paid the price. Now when we talk about that. We're not talking about uh, talking about sins as a generic whole or as a concept. He paid for each individual sin. He paid for every bad thought. He paid for every little lie. He paid for every little exaggeration. He paid every little sin that we call little. He paid the price for every sin for every sinner who ever lived. It was complete and full. He paid for it all. Notice as it goes on in verse number 10. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. This word perfect carries the idea of complete or whole. That what he does is he perfects us. He makes us complete 
or whole by him suffering on the cross. He paid our debt. He paid our price. He satisfied God's wrath. He satisfied God's terms. He completed. He made our salvation perfect because he paid the price. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ and the Lord. The act of dying on the cross as by an almighty, powerful God allowed much fruit in bringing man, or to bring many sons, to bring man into glory. Again, in verse number 10, For it became him who, for whom are all things, and by whom all things, talking about this is God, in bringing many sons unto glory. Oh, I'm so thankful that God can still save and God desires to save. And that his shed blood was enough to save everyone. Now you say, well, then why isn't everyone saved? Because each person must on their own accept the free gift of salvation. And many people have accepted it. And praise the Lord. And until Jesus comes, many more are bound to accept him as well. But many sons Jesus dying on the cross allowed so many people to go to heaven. To have a home place reserved up in heaven with him because of what he has done. Notice as it goes on in verse number 11. For both he that sanctified and they that are sanctified. So he's the one that sanctified and us, they who are sanctified, are all of one. Notice this. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, we just talked about we failed and we messed up. None of us could be trusted. We're not at the place that God desired us to be. But yet, in spite of that, God died on the cross anyways. For God commendeth his love towards us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us. He loved us that much that he does not look at all of our failings, which are many. He doesn't look at all of our blemishes and our mistakes, which are many. But instead, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Maybe I could do an Old Testament illustration. You guys remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Who had ten brothers and sisters, or ten brothers, who sold him into slavery. That's nice, brothers. How many of you had brothers or sisters that tried to sell you? Or perhaps tried to put you in a shoebox and send you to Abu Dhabi, right? And so they sold Joseph into slavery. They lied to their dad, said that Joseph's dead. And they said, we're done with him. I mean, nice brothers and sisters, right? Joseph was put into a caravan, sold into slavery in Egypt. While he was there just doing the best he could, he had someone lie against him and he was put in a prison. All because of a stinking, rotten, filthy brothers, sold him into slavery. Now he's in prison. And by the way, he never got bitter with them. It was their sin that cost him. Then later on, when his brothers came to Egypt, he was in charge. He had authority. He second in command. He could have done whatever he wanted. He could have held on to a grudge. And by the way, none of us would have um, looked down on him. We all could have understood if he had a grudge. But you know what? He was not ashamed to call him his brother. 
After he revealed himself and he wept like a baby in front of them, he went and told Pharaoh, look, these are my brothers. Pharaoh's probably scratching his head, said, aren't these the same guys that sold you to slavery? These are my brothers and I love them. Why are you so happy to see them? They're my brothers. But they, you went to jail because of them. I don't care about that. They're my brothers. It didn't matter all the bad things that Joseph's brothers did. Joseph accepted them for who they were. They're his brothers. And sure, he suffered. Sure, he went some things. But his eyes were on the Lord, not what his brothers did. And he's not looking at the brothers. He's not looking at their sins. He's seeing them for whom they are. They're his brothers. When Jesus looks at us, we look at our failings. In fact, it's much easier to get God to forgive us than to get man to forgive us. We look at each other and you see the failings. You see where they messed up. You see the blemishes. You see that. That's not how God sees us. He sees us as his creation whom he loves so much. That's how God sees us. He sees us as something precious. The book of Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5 speaks about this. That he sees us as a peculiar treasure. He sees you as a treasure. God just doesn't like you, love you. He likes you. You may not like yourself, but God does. God loves you. He likes you. And according to the book of uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, you are accepted in the beloved. Amen. He likes you as you are. What a wonderful God. There may be times where you don't like you. But God does. God loves you. In the next couple of passages, we're going to see how much he loves you. In the midst of all of this. But think about this. As much as Joseph's brothers let him down. He didn't look at that. He saw them as brethren. As many times as we let God down. And we feel like God's never going to like us again. Oh I failed God once too many times. He's done with me. That's not how God sees us. God says wow I love them. Look at them. Oh they make me so happy. Think of that. Sometimes we need to look at ourselves as God sees us, not as we see us. We see us as failures. We see us as people who let him down. We see us as people who mess up all the time. God sees us as, man, oh, I love them so much. They make me smile. Think about that. You say, are you sure? Well, let's read on and let's see for ourselves. Notice it's going to qu start quoting scripture again. Starting at verse number in verse number 12, it quotes Psalm 22. If you're not familiar with Psalm 22, Psalm 22 is what Jesus is going through emotionally. What Jesus is feeling like on the cross. So Jesus is on the cross. We have the historical account of Jesus dying on the cross in the gospel records. But in Psalm 22, which is written a thousand years before Jesus Christ died on the cross. In Psalm 22, it's talking about what Jesus is feeling. The emotional distress of him dying on the cross. Yet, what made him stay up on the cross? What made it worth it for him to be on the cross? Well, this quotes Psalm 22 and verse 22. Notice in verse number 12. Saying, 
I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Here Jesus comforts himself. He sings praises to himself even while he's on the cross because of you. While he was on the cross, Jesus was thinking of you. And instead of him, if you were up on the cross, and you were thinking of all these ugly people who just put you up on the cross, the thought of others probably would not make you smile. We'd be looking stupid, rotten, dirty, filthy humans. But Jesus is saying, I love them all. I'm willing to stay up here. I'm willing to sing and rejoice Because I'm on the cross for them. That's what I think of them. That you comforted Jesus on the cross. The thought of you. And I'm not speaking you as a general term. I'm saying you as an individual. It is my personal belief. Because God is outside of time. That while he was on the cross. When he suffered the death for every man. That moment in time was an eternity to him. As he thought of each person individually. Who ever lived. And ever will live. And the thought of you. Made him smile. The thought of you comforted him. The thought of you made him rejoice. And according to this. The thought of you made him want to sing. Even though he's on the cross. And he's suffering physically. He did it because he loved you. And it was worth it to him. To die for you. On the cross. No wonder this is a powerful saying. That he is the captain of our salvation. Well, uh, verse number 12 quotes a psalm. Notice Psalm uh, verse number 13 as it quotes Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 18. Notice in verse number 12 as it quotes this. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst. uh, Sorry, verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Here in Psalm thir- or in Hebrews chapter number 2 and verse 13, it's quoting Isaiah 8.18. What's going on in Isaiah 8.18? What is happening is that the Assyrian Empire has come to destroy and to wipe out the northern kingdom of Syria. The northern kingdom ha- and the ten tribes are wiped out and taken away by the Assyrian Empire in 722 B.C. And yet in the midst of that, Isaiah 8 speaks about in the midst of this horrible situation that I will put my trust in him. And again, the children which God hath given me for as much as the children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy and have the power of death. We'll get into that in just a second. But here it could see that the people... God looks beyond the the feebleness, the destruction, what caused the people to be destroyed. And he looks beyond that and sees the fulfillment of God's purposes. God still has a plan. God still wants to work. Even though he has to send destruction upon the people, he's not done with them yet. He still has a plan. He still has a plan. I still want to use them. I still have a desire to do something with them. That's the captain of our salvation. The God who loves us so very much. 
as we go on, there's a third thing I'd like to show you in this passage about the captain of our salvation. First of all, we understand, just putting a backdrop, that the captain of our salvation has a plan for man. We also understand that the captain of our salvation paid the price for every man. But then we see the captain of our salvation has put on flesh like man. The captain of our salvation has put on flesh like man. In verse number 14, which I just read again, says, For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, Jesus robed himself in flesh in order to be the kinsman Redeemer. The kinsman redeemer is a principle that's found in the Old Testament, which is such an important principle. Once again, the backdrop of Hebrews says that you really need to understand some of these Old Testament concepts. The kinsman redeemer is one of the important concepts that is given in the Old Testament. What is this kinsman redeemer? Well, it said that uh, someone could redeem uh, a family property for another family member, but there were rules for it. Let's say that um, some lady had um, a husband that died. Well, because God is very big on property rights and wanted them to have an inheritance, he made it so that way their family would not lose out on that property. And so he set up rules so that way someone else can take her as part of the family and being able to produce children for her so that way they would continue with the inheritance and it would stay with the family that was designated. Now these rules are called the kinsman redeemer and there are three rules. That first of all, he had to be a near kinsman, meaning he had to have the right to redeem. He also had to have the power to redeem. And then third, he had to have the willingness to redeem. Now, let's cover this in a second. First of all, they had to have the right to redeem. The right to redeem meant there had to be a bloodline. There had to be a family connection. Well, let's take a pause and let's think about the difference between man and God the Father. Now, God the Father is not human. He is a different being altogether. In order to follow the process of kinsman redeemer, God had to become man So that way he had the right to redeem. He had to become man just like you and I. So that way he could be a near kinsman. That way according to thing he had to have the right to redeem. That's one of the reasons why God robed himself in flesh. Is so that way he had the right to redeem. In addition he had to have the power to redeem. Well Jesus lived his life God robed in flesh and lived a sinless life. He did not have to pay the price of sin because he never did any sin. He didn't have to do his uh, pay the price for his sin. So because he was clean, he had the power to pay the price for everyone else inside of his body. He had to have the power to redeem. So as we talk about the kinsman redeemer, he had to have the right to redeem. He had to have the power to redeem. Then third of all, he had to have the willingness to redeem. He had to be willing. In order to be willing, what was the price that needed to be paid? For the wages of sin is death. Jesus had to be willing to pay that price in order to offer us salvation. In order to fulfill the responsibilities of the kinsman redeemer. 
Well, Jesus Christ did exactly that. Verse number 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. What same? Of flesh and blood. He had a robe of himself in flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. So what we see here is that Jesus Christ died to keep uh, to take away the power of death away from Satan. Now let me also pause here and tell you that Satan did everything in his power to keep Jesus from the cross. There is a misconception out there that some people say that Satan was trying to get Jesus on the cross. No, he was not. He was doing everything he possibly could to keep Jesus away from the cross. Whether it was to send Herod to kill all the babies hoping to kill Jesus. That failed. Whether it was taking Jesus into the desert where Satan gave an honest uh, offer to surrender. If only Jesus would worship Satan. Jesus Satan would have given it up. He said, all right, you win. That's all I want is for you to bow down just once. What would wrong with that? You don't have to go to the cross or anything. Nope, that didn't work. How many times did the people get stirred up and get ready to pick up stones and ready to stone Jesus? You say, I don't know. Well, read the gospel record of John and see how many times Jesus said, time out before you stone me. Just why are you going to stone me? Because you claim to be God. Okay, just want to hear you a minute. Time back in. And they were ready to stone him. There's one time they tried to push him off a cliff. And he just walked right past them. So many times Satan tried to destroy, distract, to keep Jesus away from the cross. He did not want Jesus to go to the cross. Because he knew if Jesus went to the cross, that Satan would lose his power. And he did. We no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear that Jesus has won and took the power away from Satan, away from the devil. Notice as it goes on in verse number 15. And to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Do you know what religion is? Religion is telling people the list of do's and don'ts so that way they can make it to eternity. Religion is works. And religion is bondage. We're not selling religion. We're telling you about a person. And that person's the one that frees you. What religion does? It says, you messed up. And so in order to cure that, you have to do this and do this and do this and take care of this and do it this way and do it this way and make sure you remember this. And that puts bondage on people. They're doing so much in order to make themselves right. You talk to an orthodox, devoted Catholic person and you see someone who's chained and bondage and always wondering, have I done enough? We call it Catholic guilt because they always carry it around with them. They can't get away from it. You talk to an orthodox Hebrew person who's following the laws and you have all of these laws and then you have the commentaries on the laws and then you have the commentaries on the commentaries and they're under bondage and they have all these rules and there's no way they can keep them all. You could go past those religions. You could look at any one of them. Whether it's Islam. Whether it's Buddhism. Whether it's 
seeking nirvana. You see all these people that are looking and trying to obtain it, trying to find it and never having any answers, never any guarantees. And so they do more and they do more. You find the more religious they are, the more in bondage they are because they're trying to get this fear of death. Trying to get it so that way I have hope. That way I don't have to worry about what's going to happen if I die. And so I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this. And now they're more stressed about am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? No wonder people turn to atheism. It's something to try to release the bondage. But even them wonder what's going to happen to me if I die. What's going to happen if something turns horrible? Someone said there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. You put enough pressure on anyone, they'll cry out to God, whether they think they believe him or not. But Jesus died so that way we can know that we have eternal life, not hope or guess or think, but he wants us to know his shed blood was enough. And all we have to do is receive that free gift and we have it settled full, free and forever. Notice as it continues on in verse number 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now again, who is this book being addressed to? Not to Gentiles, but to the Hebrew people. And for this to be placed in here was a good reminder to them that God had made promises to the Hebrew people. And when Jesus robed himself in flesh, he didn't appear as a Gentile. He was a Jewish man. He fashioned himself in a Hebrew man in the line and the promises of Abraham. This was to give a reminder to the Hebrew people that God is fulfilling his promises he made to them. And that God robed himself in flesh and became one of the Hebrew people. This was a powerful, that phrase there, when you read past it to us Gentiles, we read past that. Okay, that's nice. He made himself as part of a man. Oh, it goes beyond that to a Hebrew person who knows the Old Testament. That is a powerful verse. That Jesus, who is God, robed himself and became a Jewish man. To fulfill the promises that God made to the Hebrew people, he didn't forget them. He didn't set them aside. He still had a plan for them and he died for them. Notice it continues on in verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Meaning enrobed in flesh. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Jesus knew our need and entered human life. He is able to aid us aid us in the time of need because he knew what it was like to be a human. Notice in verse number 18, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are able tempted. Because Jesus was robed in flesh, he was 100% God to 100% man, that he knew what it was like to be tempted. He knew what it was like to be under trial. He knew what it was like to have a broken heart. He knew what it was like to lose a loved one. He knew what it was like to be a child and to be placed under subjection to parents. Do you know what he, he knew what it was like when the parent was wrong 
And he submitted to a parent even though they were wrong. Go back and read that account when he was 12 years old. Jesus, anything that we've gone through, Jesus has gone through it. And by the way, part of him robing himself in flesh and going all of it. You know, he could have just appeared in flesh as a 30-year-old. Hey, I'm Jesus. Let's have some disciples. All right. Then um, he died on the cross and only spent three years. But he chose to robe himself in flesh and go as a baby and be a child and submitted to parents to learn, to hold down a job. Remember, he didn't start his earthly ministry until he was 30 years old. He had already had a good 15 years as a professional carpenter. He knew what it was like to hold a job. He knew what it was like to uh, deal with customers. He knew what it was like to deal with people and their measurements. You got to do it. This, oh, no, no, it's too long to deal with other people. To deal with unreasonable people. To deal with heartbroken people. There is nothing that we can go through in life that we could ever say, Jesus, you don't know what it's like. Yes, he does. That's why he robed himself in flesh. So that way he knows how to help us in our time of need. Because he was tempted in all manner that we were tempted. He went through every trial and every temptation, every heartbreak that we can go through. He did. He did. He went through it all. So that way he can help us. When Jesus robed himself in flesh, it was a powerful thing. Because it allowed him to relate to us, to understand us, for us to understand him, for him to know what it's like by experience to go and be a human. We, if we were, God, Jesus never came in flesh, we could always say, you don't know God, you're perfect. You could accuse God of that. But because he robed himself in flesh, he says, I do know what you went through. I do know what it's like. Now let me help you. Let me give you comfort. Let me help you take the next step. Let me get you through this trial. Let me get through this hard time in your life. That's why he's the captain of our salvation. Let me remind you, the captain of the salvation has a plan for you. He knows who you are and he still likes you. And he still wants to use you. The captain of our salvation paid the price for every man. Jesus paid the price. He died on the cross for all of us. Then the captain of our salvation, he robed himself in flesh like a man. So that way he could be the best help to us in our time of need. What a great Savior. What a great God. Now, a lot of this is informational. But the purpose of it is for us to look to God and say, Man, thank you, Jesus. This is made to help us fall more in love with Him. The Bible talks about that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. When you see all that God has for you, when you see how much he loves you, when you see that all that he's done for you, how can you walk away and say, I don't want any of this? How can we say, God, I don't care what you say. I want to do my own thing. How can we walk away from all that God has given? Is God being unreasonable when he gives us things to do? Remember, I'm not doing things in order to get something from him. I'm doing it because of what he's already done for me. It should be out of a thankful heart. I have no problems obeying the rules. 
because of who God is. I have no problems reading my Bible because of who he is. I have no problem showing up to church because of who he is. Remember, it all starts with our vision of God. And everything else in our life flows from the worship. I try to be the father I ought to be because of whom he is. I try to be the citizen I ought to be because of whom he is. I try to be the employee, the student that I ought to be because of whom he is. I try to be the father, the husband that I ought to be because of whom he is. When Jesus is in his rightful place, everything else will become in its rightful place. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. We just need to look at him and see him as he sees us. You feel that you're worthless? Well, see yourself as God sees you. He sees you as something special, as something amazing, as something worth dying for. Think about that. You say, well, my problem is getting the motivation to read my Bible. Then look at him. Look at him. Look at all that he's done for you. Why not? My problem is depression and disappointment. I just look at everything that's falling apart. Well, then look at him. He knows what it's like to be disappointed by others. He knows what it's like. He can help you through. Look at him. Look at him. He's the answer. He's the answer. I understand you're going through different things right now. Some of you are in trials. Some of you are working on the motivation. Some of you just don't like who you are. The answer is to look at him. Look at him, the captain of our salvation. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.